Hi, hello, and welcome back to a new episode of Two Teaspoons of Positivity. The date is the 19th of December, and the time is 2.31 a.m. EST. Without further ado, let's get right into the first story. And our first story comes from the UK, where city farms and allotments were hailed for their bounty. According to the University of Sussex, urban growing spaces are almost as productive as regular farms, which is a surprising find, which was reported this week after researchers monitored an allotment in Brighton and half England for over two years. That is very interesting. They found that growers harvested an average of one kilo, one kilogram of fruit. Um, how much is a kilogram? Wait, I'll just convert it. Uh, around two pounds. Yeah. So they found that an average two pounds of fruit and vegetable per square meter uh, is within the range of conventional farming. So it's a it's a, a somewhat convoluted way of saying that um, if you grow something, uh, people are growing uh, food within one. Uh, square meter how much is a square meter oh god uh it's like one minecraft block <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah minecraft works by metric units so um for those of you who don't uh, who don't play minecraft and who don't subscribe to the metric system uh i don't really know how i can help you it's it's like uh i don't know two steps of land or something Anyway, uh, yeah, it's just that every square meter that um, that was used to grow food uh, yielded an average of one kilo, one kilogram or two pounds of fruit, which is within the range of conventional farming. So you get the same from conventional farmers with like who have like hundreds of acres of land, which is interesting because the yields were produced. Uh, with limited pesticide use so not only are they growing the uh, growing an equal amount of food as regular farmers they are also not using as much they are also not spending um, the amount that farmers uh, that farmers spend on um, pesticides and other sorts of chemicals that they pour on the soil and the plants to keep them safe so lead researcher Dr. Beth Nichols issued a statement saying that uh, the UK imports approximately 8 billion pounds of fruit and vegetables each year. But our results show that green spaces in cities, such as allotments and community gardens, could play an important role in meeting that demand at a local scale, which is a very interesting concept. Because buying local not only reduces your carbon footprint, it also, um, I think, I read some. Uh, I read a, uh, there was a research paper that was published about how um, eating indigenous food, which is like e if you if you live in the north, um, and you let's just say let's take England for this example. So uh, fruits that have already been growing naturally in England, fruits and vegetables that have been growing naturally in England. If you eat those fruits, you will be uh, healthier than you would have been if you were importing fruits from other countries. 
and a part of the reason why that is was because um the fruit the food that grows here naturally um kind of balances out the discrepancies that uh, that is created in bodies from either lack of sunlight or like temperature fluctuations and stuff like that i am not quite i'm not 100% sure that everything that i said was fact so i encourage everyone to please uh, do more research read more about this and try to find out more so that's the first story our next baby story is about how birds have bumped stars of the australian music charts so records by abba michael bublé and mariah carey have been pushed down the australian music charts by a bird song album songs of disappearance was released by birdlife australia on december 3 to public acclaim it features the calls of 53 of australia's most threatened birds including princess parrots 40 spotted bar oh god 40 spotted partlets and regent honey eaters the money raised from album sales will help fund conservation projects to revive the to revive the featured birds that is a really good initiative i think it's very innovative and very um very novel i didn't think that um people could crowdfund through this means but it's a really good medium it's a very inclusive medium because like who doesn't listen to songs right and i hope that uh, this initiative will be this approach will be also implemented to save other species of not just birds but like wildlife um, underwater underwater wildlife and stuff like that or alpine wildlife i think that will be nice and that was it for our baby stories for today let's move on to our big baby stories now so both of these are in the middle eastern region which is interesting because i don't think we've covered too many stories from this particular region uh we might have covered like a few countries but even those have been outliers so it's it's quite refreshing for me to talk about stories from this region so the first big baby story is that the working week was shrunk in the uae the weekend is about to get longer in the united arab emirates which is condensing the working week to 4.5 days from january so what they mean is monday to thursday will be working but friday will be like a half day or something a half day of work yeah the changes are intended to boost work life balance and enhance social well-being while increasing performance to advance the uae's economic com- competitive competitiveness the government said in a statement hmm. that's very interesting the new weekend will start at noon on friday it will also shift to saturday and sunday and instead of the traditional friday and saturday to bring it in line with other countries hmm that is interesting because i never thought much of the weekend um that's a good approach that's a very good approach and i think this is becoming somewhat of a a global phenomenon like um a lot of a lot of countries um a lot of countries are adopting the four day work week or a variation of the four day work week into their legislation into their constitution 
and just providing it as a fundamental right or an inalienable right to its citizens. Um, examples from Europe include Spain and I think the Netherlands and now we have the UAE. So I think um, with time we will see we will see 4.5 days becoming the norm and I think this is going to catch up a lot sooner than most people anticipate considering how important it is uh, for people to disconnect and to be able to give more time to their family and to their own health and well-being. The next big baby story is that Saudi Arabia hosted its first female boxing tournament as a further sign that life is becoming less restrictive for women in ultra-conservative Saudi Arabia, the kingdom hosted its first ever female boxing tournament last weekend. Given that women weren't allowed in sports stadiums until 2018, it shows just how far Saudi, Saudi Arabia has come in such a short time. Before the tournament, the New York Times reported more positive news from the kingdom. Uh, they stated that the percentage of Saudi women in the workforce has doubled in the last five years to 32%. There is still a ways to go, but progress is being made. It's a nice story, but I do um, I do take issue with the fact that it still is a kingdom, and the rights of the people aren't um, the rights of the people are as liberal or as extensive as the monarchy wishes it to be. And a lot of these changes came in place um, as um, Mohammed bin Salman um, came to power. I, I I can't get into too many details at the moment because I don't really I don't remember all that much. But I would recommend uh, checking out um, what was the episode? It's uh, Patriot Act with Hassan Minhaj. Uh, there's a free episode on YouTube. It's like twenty minutes. So I hope everyone who's anyone who's listening to this gets the time to watch that as well and understand um, and understand Saudi Arabia as a kingdom. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all. This is really great news, though. I'm so happy that women, uh, that their participation in the workforce is increasing. They are being encouraged to participate in sports and. Yeah, overall, their life is becoming a lot less restrictive. That's nice. Right, now for the big stories. So, the EU proposed laws to protect gig workers. Um, gig workers are Uber drivers or um, Uber Eats or DoorDash deliverers. Other, um, these people work on the basis of commission and performance, I think. Like they get paid based on how much food they deliver, how many people they um, provide their services to. And companies have created an economy of gig workers. And more often than not, um, until now at least, a lot of the gig workers were not paid, were not paid properly, they were not provided um, sustainable conditions. And the, the EU proposed laws to entitle the same benefits, uh, entitle gig workers the same benefits as regular employees under draft rules proposed by the European Commission. 
the legislation would compel digital platforms to ensure those working for them receive sick pay, holiday pay and the minimum wage. The move would impact up to 4 million gig workers in Europe when they are growing concerns about condition and pay. For too long, platform companies have made huge profits by dodging the most basic obligations as employers at the expense of workers, said Ludovic Poet of the European Trade, Trade Union Confederation. The Commission's proposal should finally give workers real certainty about their employment status. Uber said the proposals could push up price and jeopardize jobs. That is a lie. Um, the legislation will now be negotiated by, by member states in the European Parliament. This is a huge lie. This is, this is something that companies say every single time. Every single time that they have to, um, they have to do something that doesn't, that, that doesn't profit, that doesn't benefit them and solely them, they always just cry about how it could push up prices and jeopardize jobs. How would it jeopardize jobs when job security is what's being offered? It's, it's such nonsense. But it's it's really good, and the fact that the EU is doing this, it just uh, it just hints that this is going to start this um, inclusivity and this changing the changing laws are going to catch up um, in other parts of the world as well. That's really good. Right, next move on to the uh, let's move on to the big another next big story. Solar parks could boost P numbers according to research. Simple changes to how UK solar parks are managed could significantly boost bumblebee populations, according to modelling by Lancaster University. It calculated that solar parks managed as meadows would support four times as many bumblebees as turfed solar parks. Not only that, but they would have a ripple effect locally, boosting bee numbers within a one kilometer radius. Holly Plates, the lead researcher, said that our findings provide the first quantitative evidence that solar parks could be used as a conservation tool to support and boost pollinator populations. I this is amazing. This is the way I feel when I read this story is the way I felt when I realized that people could put solar panels uh, and rainwater harvesting in the same building. And like you don't it's not too expensive and the only reason why not many people do it is because people don't really know or understand the benefits that they can be and that they can enjoy by by implementing these two systems within their infrastructure and there's also the fact that I don't know if you guys have seen the B movie <laughs> It's it's a weird just uh, a fever dream of a movie, but the underlying uh, principle that we need bees to continue making honey, and we also need um, we also need honey to survive uh, because it just makes for a healthy alternative to sugar. And the relation, the symbiotic relationship that bees and humans have been um, a part of ever since we started harvesting honey. The movie talks about all that. And yeah, anything that could boost bee numbers is a good thing because more bees means more flowers and more color in the world. And yeah, I would like, I would love that. And I think any everyone would love that. I don't think there is a single person in the world who would say no to flowers unless they're like allerg allergic to flowers or something. In which case that's understandable. 
right the next big story is from the music industry the music industry united to pledge net zero emissions by 2050. Some of the world's biggest record labels have joined smaller independents in pledging to make the music industry net zero by 2050. The, the sector has a hefty carbon footprint to contend with, driven largely by global touring. Three labels, Sony, Universal and Warner, plus independents such as Warp, Ninja Tune and Beggars Group, all signed the Music Climate Pact. It commits signatories to work together to reduce emissions by 50% by the end of the decade and achieve carbon neutrality by the middle of the century. For inspiration, they might want to look to Coldplay. The band says that its forthcoming world tour has been designed to produce 50% fewer emissions than the last one. That is interesting. I, it's, it's one of those things that you never like, really sit down and think about. How... Um, singer and how musicians going on to is kind of increasing is kind of contributing to global warming it's interesting but yeah i'm glad that uh, coldplay has taken the initiative and i hope other artists take the initiative as well bands and like solo performers that was really good oh hey, that has brought us to the end of our segment so that's nice anyway that does bring us to the end of our segment two teaspoons of positivity i would like to thank the one person listening to this i really hope you enjoyed it and thank you so much for tuning in and now i am going to tune out bye